pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer, my strength, my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I am generally not a fan or a follower of football. But this past year, I would go visit Wayne Hansen every Sunday afternoon. Now I visit Wayne and uh, Jan and his son Todd. They're there. And the football game was on. Todd's very, Todd, if you're listening, I know you are a very committed follower. And so I would watch the games, you know, because they were on there. And I have to admit, even uh, some of the playoff games, I watched some of them, and some of them were played while it was snowing out. And I thought, that's crazy. But have you ever seen a picture like this? Yeah, maybe you've been one of those people. Dressing up in a snowmobile suit, sitting in the stadium, covered with snow, that is a die-hard fan, right? They are willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of their team. And there's a big difference between a die-hard fan and a fair-weather fan, isn't there? In the same respect, there's a big difference between being a follower of Jesus and being a fan. Now, there are a lot of people who are fans of Jesus. Oh, they love Jesus. They love Jesus, and he seems to agree with everything they think and feel and want and desire. They are a fan of Jesus as long as Jesus doesn't ask anything of them. They would probably sing the song, Oh, how I love Jesus because he agrees with me with everything. Now, I know that's not written well. I think I wrote wrote it better. Oh, how I love Jesus, because he always agrees with me. There, should have just read it. But being a follower of Jesus means following his way, not your way. Following his truth, not your truth. Following, Following his life, not your life of being willing to lay down your life for the sake of His. And to the outside world, this looks crazy. It's almost like looking at those fans covered in snow, in, you know, sitting in snowmobile suits covered in snow. They think, you've got to be crazy to be doing that. And the world will take a look at you if you are actually a follower of Jesus And they will probably call you names, such as narrow-minded, or prude, or many other names that should not and I cannot mention here. And the result is, I mean, we live in the world, right? And there's this tension, there's this tug of war. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to look crazy. And so there's this tug of war, and we want to find a compromise a happy middle somewhere along the way. You know that song, I Surrender All? It would be more like this. I surrender some. I surrender some. 
Some to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender some. Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? You see, Jesus asked us to be a follower, to surrender all. And if you and I are to be God's church for times such as this, and you and I are called to be God's church for times such as this, we need to learn, we need to know, we need to follow Jesus no matter what. And the first thing in following Jesus is that you must set your mind on the things of God, not of man. So let's go to our text here. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders, the elders, and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Now, middle of January, we actually covered the context for this particular section of Scripture. The context is that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. He said this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, if you were Peter, you'd probably be feeling pretty good about yourself now, right? You answered the question, you got it, you got an A plus, a star, whatever you want to think about. And you would be riding high in the saddle. But now it's as if Jesus says, okay, you know who I am, but you know why I came. You know why I came. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now our Lord Jesus often spoke in ways that were hard for Peter to understand. And truth be told, often hard for us to understand too, right? But in this case, he says very plainly. He says he must suffer, be killed, and rise again. And Peter didn't like that. He did. Can you imagine? I'm going to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine doing that yourself? Jesus, come here. I got something to tell you. But Peter goes up, he rebukes Jesus. He rebuked him because he didn't understand that he was rejecting, that Peter was rejecting the essence of the gospel, that he must suffer, he must die, and he will rise again. And that's the essence of the good news that we have. But Peter didn't understand that as good news. He saw that as bad news. And so he rebuked Jesus. But Jesus then rebuked Peter, didn't he? Strongly, a stinging rebuke. He said, get behind me, Satan. Everybody knows that one, right? Get behind me, Satan. But do you know what follows after it? He says this, 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. Let that sentence reverberate in your entire being. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the truth is, you and I are more like Peter than we would ever like to admit. You see, we are almost always focused on the interests of mankind, not on God. And so, we will prioritize and focus on things such as the political climate of what's going on. The big balloon from China that just flew over the United States, right? And everybody has an opinion about that. We'll focus on the latest social cause, what's politically correct. We will focus on not offending others and very little about what offends God. That's the truth of the matter, isn't it? We would rather focus on not offending others but give very little credence to what offends God. And so Jesus gives a really stinging rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. See, what Jesus is saying here is that these temptations to go along, to get along, right? And that's in our society greatly. To go along, to get along. To prioritize according to the world's values are from Satan himself. They are not of God. Jesus is saying God's interests are far greater. Far, far greater. He's saying God's plan of salvation is of the greatest significance. Listen, do you know what the devil wants more than anything? Is for you to minimize the significance, the greatness of God's redemptive plan of salvation through Christ Jesus. But Jesus is saying, That is of the greatest significance, more than anything, and you are to set your mind on that. Now, if you understand that, if you can take that in, you're going to hear the rest of the message in a very different light. With the text, it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're going to do three things here. Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Three things. The first is, Deny himself. Now, this is the very verse command, and it's a command, by the way, that Jesus gives his disciples. Deny yourself. Now, when we think about denying ourselves, mostly that happens to do with things of the body, right? What we eat, how much we exercise, alcohol consumption, all of those things, what we watch, what we take in with our eyes and ears, all of those things are the flesh. And is it good to deny certain things of the flesh? Yeah, you better believe it is. In fact, Paul wrote this. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But here's my question for you this morning. Is that what's really at the heart of the matter here when Jesus says, deny yourself? Is it don't? Eat that cookie? 
I think it's a little bit more than that, right? What's the heart of the matter in denying yourself? And in fact, the heart of the matter in denying yourself is your own heart. To deny your own heart. Now, this sounds crazy in our culture. Because it's a, you are told from a, as, a, as a baby, right? Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. You're told that. We've had generations and generations say, follow your heart. To thine own heart be true. But what comes from the heart? All sorts of deceitful things, right? From the heart comes this. Pride and selfishness. Pettiness and anger. Jealousy and envy. Greed and lust and sexual immorality. Bitterness and blame. Gossiping, stealing and coveting. All of these things and more. And you are to deny that. You are to deny your very self and replace your desires with God's desires. Listen, you can tame. You can tame your body all you want. But unless your heart is tame, unless your heart is transformed, it does not matter. So the question now is, well, how do you transform your heart? How do you deny that, deny those things of your heart, and then have a heart for Christ Jesus? Well, and it must be through His Word. It's through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and His Word, period. And so the question before you is, are you under under the authority of His Word? And this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you under the authority of His Word? And this is where people don't want to think about denying themselves at all in relationship to His Word. I'm going to give you three types of relationships that people have to His Word. The first is they hold it at arm's length. And maybe even further than arm's length. Maybe in the the other room that they may have a Bible but don't ever refer to it. Don't even know about it. It's just there collecting dust on a shelf. That's one relationship. Another relationship is they put the Bible on the ground and they stand on top of it. But I don't mean that how you might think. By that, I mean they stand on top of it such that my opinion trumps the Bible. I have greater authority than what the Bible says. Now, you might think this is a little odd, but it is a a pandemic in our culture, in our society. Let me give you an example. And they are around hot hot topic buttons. Hot, whatever, you got that. Hot topics. They are regarding homosexuality and abortion. These are the two hot topics where people stand on top of the word and declare that their opinion is greater. Regarding homosexuality, people will say, oh, well, you know what? That's just the Old Testament. Pastor Andy Stanley, in his very slippery slope slide, which seems to be complete now, famously said a number of years ago, well, we have to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Like the Old Testament doesn't matter, it's not God's word. 
Or they will say, oh, that's just Paul. Paul's just writing about that, and he really didn't know. Or they'll say, well, you know what? The red letters of Jesus don't mention homosexuality, so therefore it must be okay, right? You get that example. My opinion stands on top of. Let me give you one regarding abortion. There's a common argument out there. People will say the word abortion does not show up in the Bible. This is out there. And thus, because it's not mentioned by name, it's okay. To that, we could reply, well, the Bible doesn't mention Ponzi schemes either, so that must be okay. Now, if you don't know what a Ponzi scheme is, by the way, it's a way to defraud people out of their money. Bernie Madoff did that not too many years ago, $64.8 billion. But they might come back and say, oh, but that's about stealing. The Bible says stealing is wrong. Oh, so you're saying that God has a principle laid out regarding stealing, and even if the Ponzi scheme isn't mentioned by name, it's still wrong. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe God has something to say about shedding of innocent blood and that human life is precious, no matter how small or even unborn. Now, in no way am I trying to make light of either two of these topics. As a matter of fact, for abortion, I mean, we pray for the protection of the unborn every week, right? And we, on both topics, we should speak with love and compassion. Because when we speak in love and compassion and the truth of God's word in this, then there's a possibility of forgiveness and redemption. And by the way, people will say women, uh, abortion is just a women's issue. There are so many men who are heart-stricken as well regarding that. So we speak in love and compassion. I'm simply giving you some examples of how people will take their own opinion and say, my opinion. I don't care what the Bible says. My opinion trumps. But there is one other relationship. Are you under the authority of God's word? My thoughts, my feelings, only as they are in accordance with God's word and will, glorify God, and I must deny any thought feeling, action that I have that is not in accordance with God's word. That is denying oneself. Ultimately, you deny that you are the center of the universe, that you have the power over your own life. One person put it like this, self-denial for Christians means renouncing oneself as a center of existence and recognizing Jesus Christ as one's new and true center. It even goes so far that to say that my life, anything that I've done apart from Christ Jesus, is rubbish. Which might sound harsh, but it's scriptural. This is what Paul wrote in our reading from Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So a question for you this morning. Are you willing to deny yourself for the sake of Christ Jesus and his word and his will? Are you willing to be that follower? Now let us go on. Deny yourself and take up his cross. I believe that this phrase has generally been misunderstood. I don't think it was about Jesus talking about all the burdens we bear. And by the way, I speak about this very compassionately because there are many burdens we do bear. There are difficulties in health. We know that very well today, right? There are difficulties in relationships. There are difficulties in economics, how much money you may have. There are calamities that we face in our life. And regarding those things, we often say, that's my cross to bear. But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about here. You see, when a cross was mentioned back in Jesus' day, no one thinks that it was simply symbolic. When you would bear your cross, that meant you were destined to die. To be a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death. Death in the most painful and humiliating way possible. And depending on where you were, this was a reality you could not hide from. There were crosses lining the roads with people who were either dying or dead. And when Jesus said, take up your cross, I'm sure it was almost a visceral punch to the gut. You see, 2,000 years later, we take a look at the cross and we understand that in the cross there's atonement, there's forgiveness of sin, there's reconciliation, that there's love and grace and mercy. And when we take a look at the cross, we do see the love of God, love the Father has for each one of us. He loved us And loves us so much, he sent his only son to die for us. And we see the love that Christ Jesus has for the Father. That he was willing to lay down his life for our sake. And actually, according to the Father's will. You see, the relationship of the Son to the Father is one of complete Surrender to the Father's will. And He is asking for you and me, all of us here, to do that. To lay down our life, our very will, for His sake. You see, take up the cross means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. It's called a dying to self. And it is a call to absolute surrender. And let's face it, let's be real here. Absolute surrender does not come easy. Our old nature struggles 
against that. How many of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at least heard the name? Number? Okay, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor during World War II. He was eventually imprisoned by the Nazis and then uh, executed by hanging, I believe. So during his time before that, he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. You might have heard that. I'm going to read a little bit of a quote before it and then get to the quote on screen. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is the dying of the old man, the old nature, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is the call. Take up your cross and follow me. So what does that look like in real life to really die to self? John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur, he said this, When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity or annoyance, when you stand face to face with foolishness, extravagance, spiritual insensitivity, endure it as Jesus endured it, that's dying to self. When you're content with any food, any offering, any clothes, any society, any climate, any solitude, any interruption by God and His will, that's dying to self. I'll give you an example of that. You know this one. I've told you this before. God said, go to Arizona. I don't want to go to Arizona. God said, go. Okay. Love it now, right? Especially Uppsala, Minnesota. And if you're watching from Uppsala, my heart goes out to you. Two mornings ago, it was nine below. Okay. But really, God says, go. I don't want to go. He says, go. Dying to self. What else might dying to self be like when you never care to refer to yourself or to your record, your own good works, or seek commendation, when you can truly love to be unknown? That's dying to self. When you see another brother prosper, and have all of his needs met, and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit, and feel no envy, nor even question God while your own needs are far greater in desperate circumstances, that's dying to self. Why would you ever do such a thing? Die to such degree. Die to self. Jesus said this, for whoever whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The promise is when you die to self and you live unto Christ Jesus, you have a life and the promise of eternal life, eternal joy. 
Why would you ever want to give that up? So, you can reject the world. You can reject yourself. You can take up your cross and proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Paul knew this. He says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith as the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me is a command that is given throughout the Gospels. Jesus gives this. For example, Matthew chapter 4, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That's astounding, isn't it? I mean, they they heard the call. They heard the command. It wasn't a suggestion. It was like, hey, you guys, if you got nothing better to do, you want to follow me? It wasn't that. It was a command. Follow me. And it means follow me now. And so they heard the urgency behind it. But is that all there is to follow me? And indeed, there's more. Because if you take a look at the words, deny and take up, those are commands too, by the way. They're not suggestions. The sense of those words, deny and take up, is a one and done. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. But follow me. Follow me has a sense of continually following Jesus. Not once, but continually following him ongoingly. Let's put it this way. To be a disciple of Jesus is to continually follow, to be continually following after him. It is a way of life. It is to be your pattern for living. Let that sink in. This is also very countercultural. It is to be your way of life. You know, you know a lot of people who go to church and they act very nice in church and then they're very different outside of church, right? How you act in here is how you're supposed to act everywhere. It's, it's, it's literally that simple. It's that hard, but it's that simple. As a matter of fact, if you recall, followers of Jesus were first not, they weren't first called Christians. They were called followers of the way. It is a way of life. And you don't maybe know this, but even the disciples of rabbis during that time, they would literally follow the rabbi's footsteps and imitate the rabbi so that they would be exactly like that rabbi. Jesus wants us to follow him to take on his way of life. And his way of life is to be a pattern for our way of living. It's to be a pattern. You think about this, though. 
you can only follow one pattern at a time. You follow one pattern at a time. You follow the way of the world, and the way of the world will create those habits, those thoughts, everything else, and that will be your pattern for your life. Just like, and now I know everybody here remembers records, right? But there are grooves in a record, and the pattern that you follow creates those grooves in your life. And you play that over and over again. And if you are with the pattern of the world, that's what gets recorded. If you are the pattern with Christ Jesus, well, first of all, it'll be like scratching the record, right? It'll skip a few tracks there. But it creates a new pattern in your life. I mean, maybe not immediately, but you will look back in your life, say five, ten years later, and you say, I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm a different person because I'm not following Christ Jesus. And I'm continually following Christ Jesus. So what does that look like in our life? Well, first of all, it would mean being obedient to his will. How do you know if you're obedient to his will? How do you know? There's a book that we call, called the Bible. It's over your head. God's Word. That's the only way you're truly going to know if you are obedient to His Word. That's the first thing. So you're going to have to spend time in here. This is also why I said come to the Bible conference because we are called to be a church for a time such as this and thus we need to be strengthened in His Word. Spend time in His Word. And then spend time in fellowship with Him in prayer. And that's another thing that we've talked about too. As a matter of fact, prayer is so important. We're going to do a five-part series during our Wednesday Lenten series on the Lord's Prayer. Praying the Lord's Prayer. You need to look for opportunities to help those in need. So, was it 34,000, 35,000? 35,000 packets of food helping people in need. That's all according to His Word. So we look for opportunities, large and small, for that. And by the way, so for some people physically, it's too hard to do things like that, right? Pray. Let that be your job. Intercede on the behalf of others. That is also how you can do it. And then walk alongside others to help them grow as followers of Jesus. We call that mentoring, but really it's discipleship. Just walking along somebody else. Okay, listen, I worked through this, I wrote through this, studied it, I went, that's a lot. Anybody, their brain full by now? Yeah? Man, we, and all we did was really focus on one verse. So I thought, I got to have compassion. How to make this easy? And this is what I would like you to do each day sing the song, I Surrender All. And if you don't know the words, just go ahead, Google it, you know, online. I surrender all. I surrender all. And sing that and meditate then upon what that truly means as a follower of Jesus. And I think that will help 
move you along. Amen? Amen.